Good evening. I welcome you back and thanks for joining us if you have, uh, are not a regular attender on Sunday nights. We are currently in a series uh, all year for Sunday nights called Training the Twelve. And the whole focus of the series is looking at what Jesus taught his apostles and specifically how we can apply those principles and practices to us. Now, some of those things are obviously were just for them. So we're looking specifically at the things that we can glean and look at from the scripture. They give us some principles on how to be better Christians, how to be better leaders, how to uh, do better what it is we do. We are in tonight the second series or second lesson in the series on humility, and we'll have three lessons. The next one will be the last one. Last week, we talked about answering the question, who is the greatest? And we addressed why the apostles would ask that, what would you know, inspire them to ask such a question. And then we turned the tables and looked at what Jesus told us about being great and what that involves. And essentially, we answered the question that the answer to who is the greatest is those who are most willing to humble themselves, which sounds contradictory. It doesn't sound, you know, the people who lead, the people who are in power are those who push themselves and apply themselves and know the right people and make the right connections and climb the ladder. And those are the ones who end up being successful, which is why the apostle, one of the, James and John's mother would ask the question, Jesus, when you become a king in your kingdom, Will you let my son sit at your right and your left? At least let one of them sit there. Well, that's only natural. She was thinking in human terms. So when we talk about humility, we're stretching into a spiritual discussion that is unlike and very unnatural to the world around us. And especially with what we're going to talk about tonight, this idea of leadership. True greatness comes by only humbling yourself and serving others. We talk about leadership, we always think of, typically think of, power, authority, influence, the ability to have your words spoken, and those, those words carry out immediately. Um, I, I'm kind of a technology guy, I love Apple and Apple products, so I read the biography of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is a very interesting guy. But he was a tyrant of a leader. Okay. Um, in looking at his example of leadership, not a godly example at all. Very worldly example. And so when Steve Jobs passed, the world mourned because we lost a great leader. Well, he, he led many great ways. But there's a difference between his style of leadership. Maybe somebody who's aspiring to be the CEO of a company or uh, go up the, the chain to the next level, the next pay grade up, or aspire to a political office. Uh, those characteristics which we look for in leaders in the world are very different than what we look for in leaders in the church. Now, uh, I, the example I've used before is in the picture I snapped on my phone of our elders shoveling ice and snow the morning we had a very large, uh, after we'd had a very large snowstorm, and they were trying to get it ready for people to come on Sunday morning 
And we'd had a meeting that morning. We were discussing some other things, and the elders saw there was a problem. Now, the worldly leadership would say, we'd get on the phone and say, hey, we need to get somebody over here to take care of this problem. Godly leadership says, hey, I may be a leader, but, you know, my hands still work. My feet still work. And so they all got shovels and brooms and cleared the, the driveway, made it safe. That was an inspiring example to me. Right before I got up here, you have an elder leading singing. That's an inspiring example. So I look at that and say, well, what's a, what's a leader, one of the largest churches of Christ in the state, doing leading singing? Well, that's godly leadership. It entails a, a dose of humility. And when we think about humility in the right way, as we talked about last week, it is not just thinking less of yourself, but it's just thinking of yourself less. So the worldly way of thinking about leadership is power, authority, influence, the ability to do and get things done by other people's energy. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 14, we're going to go there before we go to our key text tonight. Luke chapter 14, which is, uh, I think, very instructional as Jesus speaks to his future leaders, his protégés. Remember, these are the guys that are going to carry the kingdom message forward. They will be the ones who will preach the first sermon and plant the first churches and carry the gospel message to the Gentiles. And he's got to remind them of the practical leadership skills that are different from the world. We're in verse, Luke chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse... <clears throat> Sure, I got that correct here. Verse 7. Now they are at a Pharisee's house. There's a great banquet. And uh, in the middle of this story, verse 7, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them the parable. <clears throat> when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished then you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then, you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. He, he first takes the occasion of this great social occasion. To be invited to a Pharisee's house was a big deal. And it was, um, I had the opportunity to meet Alan Keyes one time. And boy, that was an impressive deal to me. That's about, you know as high up as I go in politics, and it wasn't really, in, in, in terms of political things, a big deal, but, you know, they had a nice restaurant reserved, and I knew some people who had some tickets, and I got to go in and got to meet this guy who was on a national stage. Well, that was really cool. This was along those lines of really cool, when you were invited to a special banquet at the Pharisee's house, and the, there was a whole tradition to it, which we're not going to get into of, where you're seated and who you're seated next to. And some of that continues today if you've ever been to a very formal banquet. But Jesus takes the opportunity to say, listen, I know this is how things work. 
But I want you to try to approach it with a different attitude. As a disciple, don't see the place of honor. Seek the lowest place. You know, no offense to those present, seek the kids' table. Uh, sit with those that nobody knows and can, nobody can gain anything by sitting by them. Sit with those people. And if you do, something might happen. You might be honored. But somebody say, what, what's that guy over there doing sitting over there? Come over here. He's not saying that honor is bad. Indeed, I think we ought to have more Christians in places of honor and power. But our approach to how we get that should be very different. So when you, when you humble yourself, you have the opportunity to be exalted. When you exalt yourself and you say, I want to sit by that guy. I want to sit over here. You, don't really want, you know, it's like scoping out, I don't know, the best example Northsiders could relate to, maybe like family camp arrangements or something. You know, I don't know who am I cabin with? Who am I going to be next to? Who am I going to have this weekend with? Well, Jesus says, you know, don't worry as much about that. Uh, again, I don't think anybody goes to family camp for the great honor of, well, maybe the diva cabin. I don't know. But Let's look at verse 12. He's, first, so he starts by saying, seek the least, the place of the least first. And then he says something more interesting, verse 12. Then Jesus said this to his host. When you give a lunch or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you so and so you will be repaid. But you, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He goes on to say, not just seek the last place first, but seek the least. Seek the last people first. Associate with people who have nothing to offer. That, then, is an act of greatness. Because they have no ability to pay you back. They have no, uh, even if they wanted to, they couldn't. You know, you and I, we invite people of our, you know, common influence and income level and so forth. And, and invite you over to my house. And you send me a thank you note. And I invite you over to my house. And, and maybe you invite me back and so forth. This, in their culture, meant a lot more. But what he's getting to here is... Christians should be leaders in the area of grace in particular. And grace is this unbestowed favor. This giving you a gift that you have, you're just, it's just beyond you to pay back. So seek the last place first and seek the last first. And these are the, I, I'm going to call it the foundation for what we're going to spend the rest of the evening in Matthew chapter 23. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 12, we're going to go through it line by line. As we have with most of our lessons, we settle on a text and kind of start there. I, I called this section humility and leadership. And it was just striking to me what Jesus here points out. In the religious world of the day, and what he expected in the new kingdom. And uh, I hope some of these things stand out to you as well. Verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now there's a little bit of um, 
debate on exactly what this phrase Jesus uses, Moses' seat. Was it actually a physical seat? Was it a, a, a symbolic sort of thing? What was he talking about here? I think, I mean, just boiling it super down beyond the detail that you want, it was a picture of the authority and the leadership that Moses had. Remember in, under the Old Testament system of law, that G, there was this occasion where Moses was trying all these cases, and he was wearing them out. And so Jethro, his father-in-law, came to him and said, hey, you know, you got to come up with a different system here. And so you got to have all these sub-lower courts, if you will, to decide all the minor cases and the bigger cases they give to you. So that you're making leadership-level decisions. And the piddly stuff, just don't worry about that. Well, in the culture of the Pharisees and Sadducees, again, as we've talked about before, these were guys who were the best of the best. These were, you know, A-grade, A-1-grade kind of folks. These are the West Point-level kind of caliber. These are just, they don't get any better than Pharisees and Sadducees. And so you have all these leaders, like having all the NBA players on one team. You know, they're all great. The level that separates them is very minuscule. And the question was, who had the authority to make decisions? So everybody ascribed to this, what Moses had, which was the highest level of authority. That's what they wanted. They, they wanted the authority. They wanted the, the ability and the power to affect people's lives. Which is really what leadership in the worldly sense is all about. We're going to have an election year, and they're going to all tell you how much they love you and how much they want to serve the common good. But make no mistake, what they want is that power. That's their, that's their revenue. Uh, far beyond the, the money that comes with the position is the power of the position, and that's the same thing that they had in, sitting in Moses' seat, the chair of Moses. They said, <clears throat> the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit uh, sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. This is interesting. Right? Jesus, on more than one occasion, pointed the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, no problem with what they're teaching. The problem is that what they're teaching is not consistent with what they're doing. So he didn't, you know, again, <clears throat> Jesus was a law keeper. I mean, he had to be, to be perfect under the law. He says, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Their words didn't match up with their deeds. Jesus' brother would later say, faith without works is dead. You, know, you, you claim to have one thing, but you don't show it to me in your life. That doesn't mean anything. In, the, in a similar way, Jesus is saying, you, you do what they say to do, but don't do what they actually do. You listen to the words. You listen to the law. Um, there within is the power. Keep reading here, verse 4. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them, which is almost uh, every HR manual, you know, employee manual in the corporate world. Just pages and pages of regulations and rules that were designed usually in response to a problem. Same thing happens religiously. People say, well, what about this and what about this? That's the problem with rules. They're tricky. People like the rules, 
when the rules bend toward the way they want. But sometimes the rules <clears throat> create a problem. And especially with Pharisees and Sadducees, they did not, it wasn't that they, I mean, they had no problem making a ruling this, that, um, you know, this is how much of your grain, this is how much of your spices to, to give and so forth. But when it came to actually do it themselves, that was a different story. We referenced this morning, Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. This shows the difference between the type of rabbi Jesus was. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. A lot of times when you get people in positions of power, then we have the ability to make the rules, and that's when people love power. Because they get to have a say in the, everyone else's lives. <clears throat> verse 5. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the most uh, the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Someone called me pastor this week, which I just, not a big deal, but... If you're wondering, I'm not a pastor. Uh, I'm just a minister. I always like that title a little better because it, the, the word means servant. And in uh, uh, other religious bodies, religious titles become important. Reverend, the most holy right. Um, the, the title that precedes the name is the thing which people aspire to. You can call me a minister if you want. You can also just call me Toby. Because I'm not concerned with that. You can reference our elders and say, this is, this is Brian Middleton. He's one of our elders. Or you can just call him Brian. Either is fine. Because we're not worried about the title. Which is what uh, some in the religious world of that day and this day were worried about. Verse 8. <clears throat> but you are not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. And nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. I can still remember uh, in high school I had a class, and this class was a little bit, a little bit more freeform, shall I say. Each person had their own independent projects. But one day we were talking about the subject of this very verse and how someone that had, uh, had a religion where they called someone else father. So we started talking about that. And I went to this verse and said, look, look what Jesus said. And the teacher said, well, don't you have a father? Have you ever called him father? Okay. Just to make the simple point here. Jesus is not talking about the relationship to our mother and father. He's talking about religious titles. He's talking about the description and the, the reverence, if, if is maybe the descriptor I'll use, that you apply to other people who put their pants on one leg at a time just like you. The ground is equal at the foot of the cross. And so when we talk about aspiring to titles... I don't think in Churches of Christ we necessarily have that problem per se. We probably do tend to honor people a little bit higher 
then there. That just happens in, especially when you're speaking from behind a place like this. And Steve worked with me about that and talked, you know, about how people do that. And, and sometimes intentionally, sometimes most of the time unintentionally. So you have to, when you are serving as a Christian, you don't love what the Pharisees and Sadducees loved. They love honor. That was what they aspired to. They love titles. That's what they aspired to. Uh, they love preeminence. We are back to verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I think the reason that this is leadership quality of humility is so important among human being to human being is that when we begin to honor human beings one above the other, we get to thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And that's dangerous. We get more pride than we should have, and we, it causes us to sin and to stumble. <clears throat> the story in Acts when they uh, tried to bow down to, to Peter, and he said, Don't you do it. I'm just a man myself. That's telling. That says to me that he got the lesson of Matthew 23. <clears throat> If you're looking in context here, you'll notice in the chapter, mine says seven woes at the beginning of, of uh, chapter 23. And he goes on to, say, to, to directly say, woe to you. We're not going to go through all those tonight. But he's talking then directly to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so this whole 1 through 12 has been, all right, let me take the 12 aside here. Let me talk to you for just a second. Because I'm about to blast these guys and I need you to know why. I need you to understand what, what they're doing wrong. It's not what they're teaching from their words. The law is good. It's what they're doing with the rest of their lives is the problem. And then he steps over here and says, all right, listen, we got some problems. So when we talk about leadership, understand that humility in the genuine sense was of the utmost importance to Jesus. Um, so... I broke it down to four lessons. You may have your own, but <clears throat> I made the handout, so your, your lessons will fit in there. We learned four lessons, I think. One is lead others to the word. Mike's here, our, our, our sunset representative. And before every lesson that is taught at sunset, whether you're a student or a professor or going to church, uh, what three words do they say, Mike? Preach the word. And I love that about that school because that's what it all comes back to. That's what Jesus said. When you, when you are going to be a leader, you have to lead others to the word. And Jesus understood that these 12 people would be the most influential people within the kingdom. And if they could not humbly, correctly lead people to the word without getting all caught up in themselves, it was going to have serious problems. He says, <clears throat> uh, 
First, you got to listen to it. You got to pay attention to it yourself. You cannot lead where you do not go. Jesus can say that's that's just a Tobyism, but um, we understand that the importance of hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10 tells us, and hearing by the word of God. And again, that's not just listening. You know, I, I, you know, the word heart is mostly made up, 80% is made up of the word hear. And what that means is, you know, if you hear something, it's not that you hear it with your eardrum, it's that it sinks in on a deep level where you apply it. The Pharisees and Sadducees were brilliant Probably could have uh, lapped us several times in terms of Bible knowledge, but didn't apply it. Didn't let it sink into the heart where it matters. So listen to it with the heart. Listen to it with the mind, not just the ears. Practice it. Uh, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, James will tell us. And it's much easier to just listen to it. I can listen to... Uh, podcasts, I can listen to other folks preach, I can listen to Bible classes. I can even let that sink in, but i gotta, I got to, at some point, put that, what I've learned, into application in my life. And then, last one is preaching it. So, listen to it, practicing it, and preaching it. And do all three in that order. Hear it yourself, practice it yourself, then preach. Um... This part, 30 to 40 minutes a week, that's, that's the easy part. That's the easy part. The hard part is taking this and applying it with my family, with my neighbors, with my coworkers. And the same is true for you. You may not have to do this part, but you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> this part is relatively easily done. So keep those in perspective. The... Pharisees, if you turn that around, they were more focused on the preaching it you know, and practicing it to some degree. Practice, uh, practicing it, they did if there was a large enough crowd. Then they made sure that everybody noticed how big the offering was and how wonderful the prayer it was. But they didn't practice it in the truest sense of being worried about doing it when they were by themselves. And honestly, folks, we have the same temptation. So keep them in order and make sure that we do everything they told us, but do not do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. Number two, lead without bossing. He said they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. It's easy to get leadership and bossing confused. I tend to differentiate the two. I think leadership is just sort of a natural thing. Uh, Leaders are not necessarily concerned with titles or honor or prestige. They just do the right thing, and then they ask other people to help them. And they don't stop doing the right thing because other people are helping them. They get down and do whatever work needs to be done. That's good leadership. Bossing and saying, hey, I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I'm the big cheese. You listen to me. You do what I say to do because I'm in charge. And um, may we not be that way. 
And I hope you, I hope you strive to apply that in your professional life, in your family life, you know, um, to use the example with families, fathers, scripturally speaking, you're the head of your household. But there's a very different kind of leadership of a man who leads his house with a servant's heart than one who is a, a tyrant and a dictator of his family. You lead without bossing and you, you, you get in there and do <clears throat> exactly what you ask others to do. Number three, lead without an audience. Everything they do, verse 5 through 7, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries, which is these boxes of scripture that had special verses, you know. It was kind of their WWJD of the day. And, uh, but, there, you know, everybody knew by looking, oh, yeah, this guy knows the scripture. It was, a, it was a beautiful, I mean, it was a very ornamental piece. Their tassels on their garments were long. Showed the more honorable rabbis. They love the place of the honor at banquets, the most important seat in synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, to be called rabbi. Um, uh, leadership with disciples <clears throat> should be able to be done in a crowd of thousands or with a person of one. Uh, they just do the right thing consistently, whether or not someone is paying attention. It's easy to be a, you know, a leader when everybody else is watching, but that's really the... The least important times. And number four, lead without title. Um, there was a great quote. I'm, a, I'm working through some Ronald Reagan speeches right now. I just loved, I mean, his, his style was, regardless of politics, the man was just a leader. What made him a leader was he wasn't really concerned with who got the credit. He wanted to do the right thing and what was right for the country and if you take that example from the earthly kingdom and you look at the spiritual kingdom, you were looking for people who lead without looking for accolades and honors. We lead by pulling, not pushing. <clears throat> be stealthily great. I'd rather, I'd rather be people that, are, that we are the kind of people who surprise our bosses with the level of excellence with which we serve. I mean, just not even necessarily showing up early or late, but just, I mean, whatever job we're given, it's like we do it and then we do it and we do it to an expert level. That's the type of folks Christians ought to be. That's good leadership. You don't have to have a title to do that, by the way. You just have to have the right heart and the right attitude about leadership. The greatest among you will be your Servant, which is a hard, I mean, we don't like the idea of serving other people. The whole idea of climb to leadership is certain things I don't have to do anymore. Well, if something's beneath you, then you got don't have the heart of a leader. I, I found this quote, not in the Bible, but I thought it was good. Be strong, but not rude. Be kind, but not weak. Be bold, but not a bully. Be humble, but not timid. Uh, we look at the attitudes that Jesus called out. This will be the last scripture we go to and we'll finish. Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. Look at what blessings he poured out on attitudes that we don't necessarily think of as leadership qualities. The poor in spirit, the mournful, the meek. 
those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those are persecuted because of righteousness. And when you're saying the Beatitudes, you're digging down into the heart and the core of what Jesus called us to be as disciples. And I think when you apply those, you begin to be more and more of a leader. So I hope those things are helpful to you. And we'll continue next week looking at the attitude and uh, some final thoughts about humility next week. Uh, As we do with every lesson, we want to not assume that everyone hearing here is prepared to enter into eternity. There are those who may not yet have put on Christ in baptism for the remission of their sins. And you need to know that if you have not done that, you shouldn't wait. Jesus commanded it. If you're ready to do even practice humility like we talked about tonight, you need to think about, have you humbled yourself? Have you bowed your knee before the Lord? Have you done what he, have you done in your life what he asked you to do? What he commanded that you do? If you have not done that, please do that. Or if you have any other need tonight, come as we stand and sing.